Welcome to Drinking During Business Hours, where we have interesting conversations over a great bottle of wine. Drinking is optional. So sometimes my guest doesn't drink and they just watch me drink. That's fine too. I'm Sarah Halstead, your host. Support the show by subscribing, following, liking, and reviewing our episodes. Check out my website, Sarah J. Halstead, for my latest stand updates and social media links. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of giddy right now because I have someone that I, I can't wait to just delve into her fascinating life and get to know more about the first time I met Jen Sturger. We were at a mic. Um, we were at a show, not a mic. I mean, we were. I mean, how many people are listening at the time? <laughs> Aren't all shows mics to some yeah, degree? Yeah. You know? I mean, yes. So it's <laughs> Mike slash. I mean, it was kind of a good crowd, though. It was. We, we it was were a in fun Huntington crowd. Beach. And uh, I only knew Jen through social media and I knew a little bit about her, but I never, I did not know her personally. And the first thing when I saw, I I think we met in the bathroom. Yes. (laughs) And I was like, immediately I regretted not wearing lashes. immediately and I got out my mascara and I'm just pouring my like leering and leering and leering my mascara trying to like get cute for you you are so I remember, cute I remember walking out of the stall and I was like oh my gosh you look so cute just <laughs> a perfect stranger that's just who I am though like I'm that girl that is just like if another girl looks good I will never let them walk away from me without them knowing that I appreciate the work that went into them looking cute. That's a girl's girl. I appreciate. And she's saying this while she's downing a Mick Ultra (laughs) tall boy. Okay. (laughs) You can take the girl out of Florida, but you can't take. Oh, so we let's just get right in here. So you're you're a a columnist for Sports Illustrated. You're a model. You're a comedian. But let's just talk about Miami first. We have that in common. (laughs) Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So wait, you're from Florida. I'm not from Florida. I'm from Flint, Michigan, which is a little... So it's how a, do we have Miami in common? It's a little more glamorous, um, you know, compared to Miami. Um, but I lived in Miami for 12 years. Okay. And I spent my entire 30s there. Oh, wow. Yeah. That I, seems like I, such a fun time to be there. It truthfully. was. I spent my 20s in New York City, my 30s, Same. and now my 40s in LA. Yeah, I spent my 20s in New York City. I feel like everyone should Oh, my spend, God. Yeah, everyone wow. should spend their, at least five years of their life living in New York City. Yeah. Because I feel like New York will absolutely, oh. we can cuss on this, right? Oh, yeah. It will absolutely Please. kick the shit out of you <laughs> and test you to like your breaking point, but it will make you a stronger person. Like if I would have come straight from Florida to LA, I don't think I would have been ready for what I experienced out here. But I feel like yeah. going to New York and having that pit stop there for five or six years, um, it really, it opened my eyes to like what the real world was like, because that was my first experience besides college, like living away from home, you know? I absolutely, had I gone from Michigan to L.A., I absolutely would have ended up in porn. (laughs) No doubt. Way too naive. Way too naive. Yes. I had a comic, uh, uh, probably a mutual friend of ours, um, Omid, tell me that I am very sweet, but he's like, at the end of the day, I think you're highly kidnappable. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, what does that even mean, bro? And he goes... I don't know, Jen, it's just a quality about you that just makes me think you will just willingly get into the back of a stranger's car. You know, 
Like you can meet someone, you divulge all of your deepest life secrets, you be- <laughs> automatically become best friends with them, and then they're like, hey, climb in the back of the trunk, and you're like, okay, new friend. Like that's what my personality is. Case in point, us meeting in the bathroom. And yeah, I was like, yes. Oh, we're best friends now. Uh, I, so what, what made you go to New York from Miami? Oh, God. Okay, so the actual story is I moved to New York for a job. I moved to New York for a job, and uh, I was going to be working for the New York Jets. It seemed like a great idea at the time. Uh, Hindsight being what it is, obviously, we all know how that turned out. It was not. Uh, But I also, I think I moved for the same reason that any girl that moves to New York does initially, and that is that. I watched far too much Sex in the City, and I thought I wow. was Carrie Bradshaw. So even you, because you're <laughs> you're a bit you're a bit younger, uh, but yeah, I was I was in the first episode. What? Yeah. No. <laughs> As an extra. I mean, I was a kid. You know. I mean, I was yeah. fresh. At, you know, I was I was going to acting. I was in drama school, and um, and I just wanted to get experience of what it was like to be, to on, be on set. set. Yes, yeah, of course. But so did you have, isn't that horrendous though? Isn't it just so horrendously bad that that was our influence? Are your feet, are your toes still deformed from the Blonix? <laughs> uh, I could not afford those. I afforded Steve Madden. So yeah, the, the knockoffs quite, exactly, still it wasn't quite the same, um, but they still had that pointed toe. Exactly. No, honestly, I was always the tomboy. So like I didn't embrace like that side of sex in the city like I would dress up to go out but like I don't know I just always had this weird like this weird style about me where it was just like I kind of went like against the grain I was like a little more rocker chick or I was a little more emo I always felt like I was the emo girl that like just never fully embraced all of the dark eye makeup like that's that was the vibe the general vibe emo that I just can't imagine you as that oh I am trust me oh really oh yeah so emo so emo so in touch with my feelings all my friends are like oh my god you're so dramatic and i was like that's why i end all my arguments with end scene well yeah (laughs) i love that but that's also you know not only were you the most adorable young lady i've ever seen the first time i met you but you got on stage and you you held your own up there oh thank you and it was you went up early you did not have the best spot no. in that lineup. No. I got them when they were a little more drunk. Oh, yeah. They were they were nice and warmed up for you, <laughs> lubed up, lots of alcohol. But And there was, like, that weird couple that was, like, making out in the middle of the bar, making it weird for everyone else. Like, that was going on. And talking the entire time. Yeah. They were kind of rude up until the end. When Ahmed Ahmed, the producer and host, just wasn't putting up with it, he just he pretty much said, "You got to get out. You can't just go. We don't need you." It was really funny, but I would. But going back to the emo of it all, do do you think that that those those passionate feelings that you have help with your comedy? Do you use that truth? Are are you really you up there? You know, it's funny because I feel like I'm going through that weird stage where, you know, when you get on like a streak and you're like killing it and then you'll hit like one speed bump and there's like that one show that's just like a traumatic experience for you. Yes. And you're like, I don't know if I ever want to do this again. I have that happen like probably once every like six to eight months. And when it happens, I go through like this little tiny like. Oh, maybe I'm not as good at It's at humbling. This. Yeah, it's a very humbling experience. Mm-hmm. And whether it's you or the crowd, like, it's your job to figure it out. Yeah, you know? it is. No and, one can do it for you. And a lot of times for me, I find that when I'm, like, not leaning into, like, whatever my 
emotions are at the time. And like if I'm denying them and I'm pretending to be something that I'm not, that's when I run into trouble on stage. And like that's when I feel like I'm being inauthentic and like my shit's not clicking for me because yeah. it doesn't sound like it's in my voice. You have to believe it to oh, say yeah. it with conviction and and passion. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, so we have that in common. Everything I say up there is true. I know. Every <laughs> single thing. Which, it's embellished. Oh, yeah, of course. I, I put spices on it. Exactly. You know, to, you know just to but kind of. But there's a lot of truth in it, for sure. The premise is true, or I wouldn't have thought of it. Exactly. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> but the thing is that I, I think sometimes I get to the place with some of my material where I'm like, Mm, I don't know if this if I if I identify with this material anymore. Yeah, because I'm either doing the work on myself or I'm uh, I'm just I've outgrown it. Well, you know yeah, what I mean? I was just gonna say yeah. you outgrow it, and it's just different phases of life, and you're no longer in that phase. Exactly. And usually that's a good thing. But I find sometimes. <laughs> oh, I know, right? But I sometimes I feel like the stuff that I don't want to talk about is the stuff that I need to talk about. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, I need to confront this shit because everyone else in the room is seeing it and feeling it and wondering about it, and. If I don't acknowledge that, I feel like I'm I'm hiding behind a wall almost. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm hiding behind something like a smokescreen to the audience. So Well, and I want to talk about that. But before, let's segue into it by this question. Do you feel you're beautiful? Do you feel that you need to self-deprecate right away at the mic to offset your beauty? <sighs> um, it's so funny because I feel like I I don't see myself the way other people see myself. And I don't think I really understood how other people saw me until I was in like my late 20s when like I had to go through a really public ordeal and the world gave me lots of feedback of what they thought I looked like and what they thought I was. So you were working and for, was that when you were at, um, you were a, a, a television host yes. for, and, and can you talk a little bit about that? I did read a little bit about it, but. So like the, the cliff note version of it is I worked for a football team. I worked for the New York Jets in 2008. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. experienced some workplace harassment. No one knew about it. I dealt with it very uh, privately. Because we had to back then. Yeah, we then. had to. Yeah, it was, it's Me one Too of those did not exist. No, I was hashtag Me Too soon. <laughs> <There's> not, <laughs> oh, I love I that. I did not have. I did not, I knew that if anything came out, I would not have any sympathy towards me. You know what I mean? So I dealt with it privately. Um, besides that, I was going through a really tumultuous breakup with a really narcissistic, abusive partner mm. when I, who I moved to New York for. My mm. Mr. My Mr. Big, essentially, okay. that I moved to New York for that absolutely devastated me. Mm. Um, did he die on the Peloton? God, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, by the way. <laughs> One can only dream. <laughs> but, you know, I um, I went through all of that privately, and I went through therapy for it. I went through a lot of therapy for it um, and leaned on friends. But it kind of put me into this place of, I think it's a weird victim mentality where I was like, what did I do to bring this situation on myself? You know what I mean? Mm. Like that kind of level of introspection where I was like, if a certain pattern keeps happening to you over and over and over again, why does that pattern keep happening? Yeah, I think it's a good question to ask. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I think a lot of times it's it's our brain like subconsciously, uh, it doesn't necessarily seek out the situation, but it's all it knows. You know what I mean? And every time it thinks we've grown, we're stronger now, we can fix it, we can mm -hmm. get through this, we're better now. And the end result is your subconscious still makes the decisions for you and the result is always going to be the same. Yeah. You know, like it's always still going to be a trauma response until you've like dealt with it. 
it did that come from childhood you think oh, what, what? for sure okay for yes. sure why do you think we're drinking on a on a Sunday um, yeah and we're comics <laughs> out of a can <laughs> exactly no I, I yeah I I had a uh, a, a similar path mm-hmm. and uh you're it's it takes a lot of growth and for me therapy to have that wake-up call to stop that trajectory in its tracks yeah and just know I am not going to go for the guy who makes me fight for his attention. Yes. You know, it's like, what are we, what are we trying to validate? You know, right. like, what kind of validation are we seeking from others? And I think uh, I have this amazing life coach and she nailed it on the head. And it was about Jen, you've got to find a way to make yourself feel safe. Because until you can make yourself feel safe, she goes, you're basically just in a house that's on fire and you just keep going from room to room thinking that the next room is going to be somehow safer than the other. Mm, I love that. And I was like, this is why I pay you money. Yeah, good. Because <laughs> life coaches can be ambiguous. Yeah, no, so no. She nailed it right. She nailed it right on the head. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, that sounds yeah, it. that is the most, because I kept asking her, I was like, I don't know why. Uh, I find myself often, you know, in situations like in the workplace where I'm actively seeking out wanting to be in fields that are predominantly male and Mm -hmm. wanting to prove myself and wanting to prove that I can hang with the guys, but almost like subjecting myself to a certain level of torture to prove that I deserve to be there. And the fact of the matter is, I don't deserve to be treated that way, No, but I belong there. Like, I have the balls to be where I am. You know, they're ovaries, but I have the balls to be where I am. You have big balls with hair I saw it I saw her hey, balls first, first she showed me her lashes and then she showed me her balls I was like you think um, these are impressive <laughs> so uh so you had a, a public thing go yeah. down uh when you worked for the New York so Jets back to the yeah the, the original question was you know do I feel like I've got to like dumb that down and when all that stuff went down and it actually was brought to the public front, which was like two years later. Someone sold me out for thirteen thousand mm. dollars. If you ever wonder how much your life was worth and realized it's less Only than a 13K? used car, exactly. You're like, <laughs> really? That's really? what I was worth. This is what ruining my life uh, was, it was worth. It was before inflation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, still, <laughs> even now, I, I no. don't think you could get much for it. Um, I, I had to basically take in all of the public opinion about me. And it was stuff about myself that, like, I had just, I didn't see myself that way. So, like, the way the public saw me and the mm. way I saw me were two completely different people, you yeah. know? And it was, like, that dissonance that created a lot of, like, work for me to do on myself and figure out how is it that you see me so different. And so I, I love telling the story about the one of the first, I wouldn't call it an acting class, but one of the first classes that I took out here that was more about, like, finding what you play and, like, what your part is was with this amazing casting director from MASH, okay? Mm. So, like, world-famous casting director. Yeah. And he taught this class about what you sell or what you portray to people and how people see you. So it's a way for you to describe parts of yourself that other people may see as, like, hindrances, but find a way to talk about them in a way that's, like, happy and, like, you know, as a positive, you know? Take the bad things about yourself and turn them into a positive. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things they have you do in this class is they have you sit in front of a room of 30 people that you've never talked to, that you don't know. And they fill out this list of like 300 words. And they have to circle all of the words that they think apply to you without you saying a word. Do you know what my top five returns were? Ooh, can't wait. Ready? It was funny, sarcastic, witty, guarded. And my my top return that 
everyone in the class circled was damaged. Ooh. <laughs> wow. So when I finally got a chance to speak in this class, I was like, first of all, fuck all y'all. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but, damaged. But so, yeah. So I was just like, what are they seeing that I don't see? And... Then you start, uh, they, they give you like prompts and you have to tell stories about them. And one of the prompts that I got was, it breaks my heart that, and I told the story about how I got sold out mm. and about how the person that sold me out died and I will never get closure or understanding about why they sold me out. And I just have to forgive someone that uh. I don't know whether or not they deserve being to, to be forgiven, but I have to just be at peace with it, you that know, because really I'm never going to get that closure. And it's about giving yourself that closure. That is really, really intense. And so at the end of the class, the whole point of the class is to teach you kind of what you sell as an actor, as a performer. And they talk about how actors kind of play the same roles over and over again, you know? So one actor that they brought up was Keanu Reeves always plays the guy that's like luck. Yeah. You know? Um, and, He's always like the stoner that ends up, you know, wandering into a time machine phone booth and then like, or, you know, the guy that gets trapped on the bus that like happens to have a bomb on it. Like Bodie. that's just, exactly. Or he's <laughs> the one. Right. You yeah. Because he's so good looking. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly why. <laughs> I love him so but much. But still, like, so he always plays the same, yes. you know? Tom Hanks is always the guy that like is like the normal guy that's never prepared for whatever situation he's in. Like, oh shit, my girlfriend's a mermaid. Or like, I'm a kid that's now an adult. Uh. Or like, I'm the captain of a ship that now is taken over by pirates. Like, it's the same thing, you know? Yeah. Harrison Ford is the begrudging hero. The, oh, get off my plane. Or mm -hmm. like, oh, I guess I'll do it. You know, Harrison Ford play, you know, like Han Solo, Indiana Jones. It's all the same vibe. Yeah. So when... They were trying to talk to us all about what we play or what we show people we are, you know. They got to me last and they were like, do you know what your myth is? Like what your thing is that you're supposed to learn while you're here and what you're supposed to teach others? Like what you play? And I was like, I have no idea. And the teacher was like, you know what it is, Jen. And I was like, hmm. I, I really don't. He goes, you have this innate ability to make everyone around you think everything is going to be okay mm. and that they are safe beautiful they said the problem is you can't give that to yourself mm. they're like you always are doing this like safe versus jeopardy thing and like even when things are going to shit and like the house can be on fire the world can be having a catastrophe you're like everything's going to be okay I fully believe that. That's very maternal, too. Right? I find, yeah, I've known a lot of mothers Which is and why grandmothers. I own four cats. It's, <laughs> we're <laughs> no talk kids, about that. four cats. But, but it's, <laughs> have you ever known, you know, like the quintessential mother that takes care of everyone but herself? Yeah. And that, that's just sort of, I, that's kind of where my mind went there, you know, because yeah. she, the mother makes you feel like everything's taken care of. Like yes. she's got it and we rely on that and the, but I would say the, the good part, I mean, the, the positive of the story there's a lot of acting work for you if that's what you're portraying. <laughs> because sitcom those characters, moms. I'm almost to those the point characters. Where I can play a sitcom oh mom. man, that's absolutely, yeah, yeah, of course. No, I see it. But when I get on stage, I sometimes I address it and sometimes I don't. I think it automatic. I I think I I always watch kind of what the audience is feeling, and I kind of watch how they react to the comic before me, and I kind of just take in the general vibe of the room. But I always just try to stay present. And I think sometimes when I'm having one of those like crisis moments, it's hard for me to stay present because I'm so focused on my material. Mm. And I'm like, at the end of the day, the audience just wants to connect with you. They do. It's an intimate. And they way. don't care what you look like and they don't care where you come from. They just want to 
get to know you and to laugh. So to go all the way back about the self-deprecating and do you feel, so as long as you're truthful and having that intimate conversation, then it doesn't matter. I I believe that too. Um, In the beginning though, I, I did get a lot of criticism for like showing my legs, like I would wear shorts and oh, you know, like I, I started. I haven't about, shown my short by my legs since like God, two thousand five. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, you know because and, and people are like they pulled me aside. They're like, no, you you can't do that. You're a woman, and, and people are not going to like you. And you're going to ostracize at least fifty percent of the room, which are the women. It's so stupid. And, and, and that now, just means to me you've got great legs. It, you know, you and, gotta, I, and I call it and out. I, I feel like I balanced it. Like I would wear shorts with combat boots. But yeah. no, that wasn't even that's permissible. Defense, yeah, and it was a like a, it was like at six and a half years ago. And now it's see from my, being in Miami for as long as I was and in New York City, sex in the city. I'm a girly girl. Yeah, that's how I dress off the mic. So why would I go on the mic with like dressing like a slob? I know, you know, so it's so funny, though, because I'm the tomboy and I, I do get booked on shows that are mostly female shows sometimes. Mm. And when I get booked on those shows, they're like, we really want you to dress up. We really want you to. And I'm like, still, I'm just not the girl that wears dresses like I'm the girl that wears pants and like a hot top. But like I'm always like an edgier yeah. tomboy version of myself with just good lashes and good makeup. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, I did the two-hour art project. You want me to body paint myself, too, so that I feel confident enough to show my legs? Like, no. Um, And I think, honestly, what it comes down to is I'm just, I don't feel ladylike enough to wear a dress well, that's the majority you. of the that's, time. You know, and so you're being yourself, which is working. But you know and what? It's... When I was in an acting class, there was a girl that always used to wear dresses, and they always thought she played really meek and mild. And one time the acting teacher actually said, you know what you need to do? You need to get yourself a pair of pants. He goes, Jen always wears pants and she's always in her power. And I was like, oh, thanks. I think. Yeah, uh, I don't know about like, that. But I thought it was funny just because yeah, I was like, no, it is. So by just me wearing pants. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just more powerful. He goes, no, he's like, it's just like the way you stand and the way you carry yourself. He's like, you wearing pants gives you like that feeling. And I was like. Okay, I can see that. Well, you know, Catherine Hepburn, you know, she was always in her power. She, I don't think she ever wore a dress, ever. No. I don't think they ever put her in a, in a dress. She always had their um, pantsuits. Yeah, all their exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Audrey Hepburn, too, for pretty much for the most part. Right? Didn't yeah. she always, she was always wearing those, uh, uh, those skinny pants. Like the little cigarette pants. Yeah, or yeah. Capris yeah. or whatever they want to call them. Right. Yeah. So, no, I, th- I think that's, it's you. I mean, that's, that's, I, I think that's you found your voice early on in comedy and that's a battle that usually takes comics about 10 years to find yeah I got into a lot of arguments with um one of the ladies that like was one of my comedy mentors at the beginning because she wanted me to write jokes about being slutty and I said that's just not who I am good and I was like me going out there and talking about what a huge whore I am is so cheap to me and it's so not who I am. It's not who, exactly, I agree. And honestly, I go, I don't what know is you, wrong with women that own I, their sexuality? I can like, just tell like she's a not a whore. <laughs> no, but even if she is, who cares, right? But but I think, no, it's just, it's trite. That material is, it's been done. People already own it. And yeah. I think people are just kind of tired of it. The shock value has worn off. Yeah. And it also just appears that, that comedian wants to shock. And it's, 
it's obvious. I can shock you in so many other ways besides that. Like be creative, be smart, go in an area that you're not expecting. And to me, that's. Yeah, that's why I was drawn to roast battle when I was first coming up in in L.A. comedy. I loved writing roast jokes. You do? Oh, I deplore roast comedy. (laughs) You know why, though? I think for me, it gave me this sense of power, like over people that like. I, it's a it's a skill set that I wish I had leaned into more when I was a kid because I I could have stood up to my bullies and stuff so much easier. I think you know? it's fantastic like, if you listen, can do mom. it. <laughs> like, it's great <laughs> practice for a comic. It is, and it it teaches that that irreverent muscle that needs to be built, or you're just not going to really stand out as a comic. Exactly. And I think the opposite was probably what made you so successful at that because you are petite and beautiful and people probably did not expect that from you no so it probably works real like I would like to see it my first roast battle that I did that uh Jeff Ross judged he said he had never seen me because I've never seen you before I have no idea who you are he goes but you are delightfully fucked up he's like I enjoy you what a compliment he's like you look like you are just having a blast up there I that I, <laughs> I would have that on your website quote unquote Jeff Ross delightfully, <laughs> delightfully fucked, fucked up, up. <laughs> that's oh have you you ever received such a compliment that's huge (laughs) Jeff Ross the only other time I felt that way was when Corey Feldman told me after I did uh an event at the Playboy Mansion where I had to do comedy um which is always a fun time when you go to an event that was that when when Hugh was around no no um no I was not it's funny because I was I posed for Playboy when I was 22 and honestly watching back now to like the Playboy docs and stuff that are out now. I yeah. can totally see how that was the culture. Yeah. Because even in this, the one shoot that I did with them, I felt so pressured to like give up everything. And it was one of those first times in my career where I was like, no. And I remember saying no. And they were like, well, if you don't show everything, like if you don't give us all of the, you know, cash and prizes, like we might not put you in the magazine. And I was oh, like, am I still boy. getting paid? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, all right. So you were fully nude. Nope. Oh. Nope. I gave them my booty and I gave like some side boob. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I refused. I was not going full, full Monty. I wasn't going to go full frontal. I just, what, whatever people are comfortable with. Because and I, I wasn't. I, fi- I find it just as empowering when women do go the whole distance too. Like no, you know, like whatever exactly. the, the person, you know. But so so if that was am, where you were. Exactly. Yeah. So if that is who you are and if that's where you were, that is... I saw it you, as a springboard, and honestly, I think it was, like, validation for, like, that girl that never felt like she was pretty enough. And now that I realize, like, that's the reason I did it, I'm like, would I do it again? No. Truthfully, I, I wouldn't. It's kind of cool to have, though, attached to your name. I th- I, th- I think it's you cool. think that, but then sometimes yeah. you come up against companies that you're, like, trying to do work with, and they're like, oh, you did Playboy. I'm like, that was four boob jobs ago. You're worried about that? (laughs) And misogynistic as fuck. I mean, you know, come on. Very. Who cares? Very. I mean, it's, you know, you got, I I would imagine it catapulted some things here and there for you. I mean, yeah, that's great exposure. Literally. And it's it's very, very competitive. I'm, I know a lot of women that really wanted to do it and didn't get passed. Well, that's because it was, it was the time of the, it was, you know, like the mid 2000s. And I feel like women were at this weird place in the mid 2000s because it was like they were being overtly sexualized, you know, like, and it was almost like the industry wanted you to go that way up until a certain point. 
And then when you would no longer let them monetize on you, then they like systematically tried to break you down and destroy you. Wow. Whether it was with paparazzi, like that was like the same era as like, you know, Britney's big meltdown or yeah. like Britney Murphy, like spiraling, you know, and us losing her or mm-hmm. it's just such like a tragedy. It was such a weird time with the Pamela Andersons and the Carmen Electras and the Vita Guerreras. Like it was such an overly sexualized period of time. And you were really young at that time. I was. To be, to be in but I that thought that's spot, what I had spotlight to be. so quickly. Yeah. I mean, to be 22 and to be dealing with all of those feelings with and no all guidance. of those challenges. And we, so where, where were your mom and dad? Where are they? They're in Florida. Okay. And how did they feel about you? posing for playboy were they oh they weren't thrilled mm -hmm. you know it was one of those those things where like you're gonna do what you're gonna do and they definitely expressed their like displeasure with it but like they they just kind of know i'm like the headstrong kid that's gonna do whatever you know i do you have have brothers and sisters how many just one just one sister older younger younger and so i was the overachiever um Type A. Type A, old soul. You know, like I was the adult always, the adult child, you know. Are your mom and dad still together? Yes. That's really cool. That's rare, right? Is it though? Well, yeah. (laughs) As I said it, as it came out of my mouth, I was like, people uh, are together doesn't mean they should always be together. And that's also they're from that generation where they stay together through thick and thin no matter what. It's like, yeah, so I got a prostitute stuffed in the mattress, honey, but (laughs) thanks, thanks for sticking by me. And I, I really hate, you know, you always know when a guy refers to his wife as she's a saint. It's like, oh, God, what did that poor woman have to put up with? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, she's a saint. It's so not a compliment. No. <laughs> it's, but, I'm secretly torturing the shit out of so, her. So, but what, like, what was your childhood like, though? So did they argue? Were they harmonious? Was it a pretty good, you know, um, I mean, what, what? Did your ambition ultimately make you leave Florida? Oh, yeah. I could never go back. You you just exude ambition. My parents brought me out to L.A. when I was like seven years old. Wow. And I never forget. And it was just for vacation. It was just to go to all the theme parks. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they tried to take us to a museum. And like my uncle uh, was like, you know, you should really take them to the Museum of Modern Art. And I was like, uh, I've been to the museum. Boring. Um, but <laughs> but I was always that like smart ass kid that loved entertaining, that loved music, that loved singing, that loved dancing and acting. And when I came out to L.A. and like I saw everything that was going on out here and just like the general vibe. I mean, granted, this is through a child's eyes, but like I'm going on the tour of like all the different movie sets and I'm seeing all of the TV shows getting made and it just feels like a different energy out the here. Brady Bunch house. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I need to live here. I need to live here. This is where I belong. I've always felt called to L.A. I've always felt called to entertain people. And I just remember that trip being like, okay, this is where I belong. This wow. is where, I, and it was, I've, I felt called here. Even when I went to New York, I I second guessed myself because I was like, mm, should I go to LA? And granted, New York, like I said, they, it taught me a lot of things about sure. myself. But you learn about I always was ultimate education, New York City. Yeah, exactly. Every, every <laughs> school of hard every knocks. person should do it. <laughs> yeah. So, so you don't, I had the, those same feelings, you know, going to New York before LA but wow, am I grateful yeah. that that was the road. I just, I, it's the ultimate, ultimate 
educate. You don't even have to go to college, which I which I did go to school, but you don't so even. I. You really don't have to no. when you live in New York City for a little while. Oh, <laughs> you no. know, it'll teach you a lot Everything. about yourself, about Everything. people. Yes, psychology one hundred and one. Are your mom and dad? How are they feeling about your 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 successful? Are they are they proud of you? Oh no, they still ask me if I'm going to get a real job every day. I, every time I talk to them. <laughs> and how do they feel? Your your that's I, that just may be you know parents. That's just how they because actors and comedians and it's just so foreign yeah to conventional thinking if I try to tell them what some of my jobs are that I'm getting paid money for which I mean they just don't even grasp what I do for a living they, they don't understand you know, they go to that's... comedy clubs and stuff like that but they don't understand how I could get up there and do something like that they're like <laughs> what do you talk about and I'm just like anything I want <laughs> So when I've gone to Tampa to do shows, whether it was like opening for Brad Williams or Burt Kreischer or whatever, I was just like, yeah, please don't come. Don't come. Because honestly, I don't like necessarily people in my life that I care about being in that crowd. I don't either. Because I feel like I have to filter myself. Yes. So it's like, oh, if you want to have a relationship with me or you want to or you're my friend. I mean, friends are one thing. I feel like friends, my friends all know who I am. I am so authentic with my my friends and my my close circle of people mm-hmm. that I'm not worried about any of their judgment. Right. It's or they wouldn't be friends. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because that's a, that's not a safe space for me. Um, but, but but no family and yeah. people that I'm like I need your love, like those type of people. I just don't want around because yeah. if they have it, the slightest criticism of something that I say about them or something that they don't like in my act because it makes them feel a certain way, then it just it gets in my head and sure. I feel like I've got to tiptoe around who I am and be inauthentic. And that's just, it's not, it's a recipe for disaster. It's, it just counteracts the whole purpose of you being a comic too. Yeah. It, it does. I mean, isn't it, it's all about just really being our true selves yeah. and just find, you know, j- the quintessential you should be at the mic. And I have, I'm pretty clean for the most part. So I'm not I. like a super, I don't like gross jokes. I don't like. Neither do I. And I, I kind of, yeah, I remember that about you. I'm not like a big like, let me talk about my pussy. Right. Or like, yeah. You know, Let's right. talk about pooping and farting. Right. Yeah. I'm like, that's I, just not. Like for me, the code is like the, the, the gauge is you want people to eat. Most yes. people eat at comedy clubs. Yes. If you can't, if they can't finish their meal, you've, you've crossed the line. Yes. <laughs> that's just what I like to go by. I had one joke that I tried that I felt was on the edge of what I typically would do. And I said it one time and it just didn't, it didn't get quite the reaction that I wanted. It got more of a, like not a groan from like, it was bad, more of a, that's disgusting. And I was like, I know that was very off brand. I'm like, you can already tell. <laughs> and, and you acknowledge and I acknowledged it. it. And then yeah. it gets, it always, it and it gets always a laugh got a laugh. Exactly. Move it. on. Yeah. I feel like we could go another hour just on this. <laughs> Thank God you have a second guest coming in for the day. <laughs> yeah, we definitely could go. I, I hate that we have to, that we have to wrap because you're, <laughs> wow. It just, it's the gift that keeps giving. I swear. I, I mean, like you're looking even, at 35 years of therapy. I so. feel like we did not even really great. Like we barely, barely barely graze the surface that's why we have to hang out more often may we yes may we do a part two because this just i I just feel like this was just the intro i feel like i I feel like it went by in 15 i feel like it went by in 15 minutes i hope it wasn't too heavy because i do like i like to feel like it's introspective but like 
there's also like lightheartedness to it. You know, I teach classes, uh, at different universities on like kind of sports media and oh, do you? not burning your sources. And just one of the things that I preach during those classes is like just being authentic. And it's really cool because I get, I get feedback from all the kids, like anonymous feedback. They have to like write about what they thought of me as a speaker. Mm. And they were like, no pressure. Exactly. <laughs> but I always love getting that feedback because it's like, she's nothing like what I thought she was going to be like. Mm. And that's the greatest compliment that anyone can ever pay me. So circling back, do you think it's about that class, the MASH casting director and, and the people that, that threw out those adjectives to describe you? Would you say you've, you've, you have adjusted, maybe pivoted the way people would describe you today versus then? You mean, my, am, I owning, am I owning more of it? Um, I think I'm, I'm owning more of that. And I think... It's kind of one of those things where if they tell you to play like a character is a strong woman, I don't need to play strong. I am strong. That's right. So when you try to play strong, it comes off like acting. Yes. You know, where you're just like, calm down. You know, like you already, you already you are that it. thing. You got it. You know? So yeah. it's like when people are like, be sexy. I'm like, I don't have to be that. Like, I know what I give off as just a general energy and if that vibe is not the vibe you're looking for, then so be it, you know? I can't even imagine you trying to be sexy. It is it's so just like awkward because are... <laughs> it's not me. No, it's it not is. not me. It I is, but it's just myself. It's just, yes, yes. But what I'm saying, like, you're a sexy woman, though. I mean, people, like, they look at you and you're like, well, you're the whole package. Thank you. I appreciate so you it's, saying that. I mean, you're, you're in That's Playboy, for I'm, Christ's <laughs> sakes. That's one thing I'm working on is trying to... Um, when people give me flowers, accept them. Yeah, embrace and water embrace them. All the compliments. Water them and make them yeah, grow and be that's something right. bigger. That's right. A field of flowers. <laughs> so I, I've really enjoyed this a lot. I just wish that we could go another hour. I really Next do. Time. Yeah, may we? Next time. So part two to be continued. And until then, until where may the listeners find you? Oh, they can catch me on uh, Instagram's honestly the place that I hang out with the most. And I, okay. I post all of my shows and stuff on there. It's at Jennifer Sturger on Instagram. It's my my proper name. Um, but yeah, Jen Sturger, at Jennifer Sturger. Um, come see me there. Hang out with me and my stories. And I have an official website for exclusive content. It's not OnlyFans. Calm down. <laughs> um, but you know what? Maybe there's some bikini pictures. I got cats to feed, so. Yeah, she's poor. <laughs> she has four cats. I'm talking about that in the next episode. It's going to be titled Cat Lady. Uh, both of us. Okay, so thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in to Drinking During Business Hours. Until the next time.